Welcome to this week's episode of Extraordinary Entrepreneurs Together, the podcast for entrepreneurs interested in fast growth and funding, powered by EHE Capital. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the EHE podcast. We've got a really exciting one today. I'm going to introduce you to one of our new EHE entrepreneurs that we're working with and really looking forward to finding out a little bit more about his story. I'll let him kick off in a second, but I'm also joined by Elliot today. So hi, Elliot. How are you? Not bad yourselves. Yeah, good. Thank you. Are you keeping well this time of year? Well, it's a, it's a little bit chilly. I think the weather's turned. But yeah. apart from that, looking forward to Christmas. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I think we all are now, aren't we? So I'm going to hand over to David Agar, who is the founder of Bankability, one of the entrepreneurs and businesses that we've been working with with EHE. So hi, David. How are you? Hi, Nari. Hi, Alex. I'm good, thank you. Likewise, a little bit chilly around here, but hopefully I've got my thermals on. Where are you today? I'm in North Yorkshire today. Oh, extra cold then. Yeah. <laughs> extra cold. So, David, I'm really delighted to have you join us. I know, obviously, EHE have been working with Bankability for a little while now. And one of the things we've been helping you do is get ready for funding. And Elliot also can talk a little bit more about why we were so excited about your opportunity and your business. But before we go into that a little bit more, I just thought it'd be really interesting if you could just give us a bit of a a potted history of you and your career today and how you ended up as a founder. Yes, well... I've been a, I guess I've been a founder for, uh, for over 30 years now across a number of different businesses. So bankability is my, my fifth venture. But prior to that, of the other four, uh, two were for my, my own ventures and two I, I was put in there to, to run them for other investors. So I've also had a, a successful raise and an exit in, in a previous business. And bankability is not only my fifth venture, but it's also the first social impact venture that I've been involved with. Real, thank you. So you're a seasoned founder then? Yeah, well, yeah. I suppose the short answer to that was yes. I've certainly got a number of t-shirts and I certainly have learned quite a bit over the years, but every day is a learning day. It definitely is. It definitely is. So David, we just talked about bankability there being a social impact venture. Would you just tell us a little bit more about bankability and, and how you got involved? Yeah, so bankability is going to be an open banking platform with digital accessibility at its very core. And what that means is that for millions of people in the UK and, and obviously overseas as well, they, they struggle to use existing banking apps and banking technology simply because they may have a disability and the apps of these banks are not necessarily optimized towards supporting people with, with accessibility challenges. The outcome of that is that people get basically financially excluded from the system. It can lead to frustration mental health issues. And so therefore, one day I had the idea to say, well, look, you know, open banking is a wonderful thing. Why don't we, why don't we let the tech do the heavy lifting and make things accessible and easier to use for people who are otherwise being excluded? I would just add on to that as well, that part of my motivation is that my son happens to be both dyslexic and autistic, and he recently turned 18. And I asked him as, a, as an exercise to see if he could open a, a bank account online and, and basically he couldn't. So so therefore, I'm living with somebody who would benefit from bankability. Brilliant. Thank you. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because as you started talking, you realize, of course, how lent in we are to using the digital apps, etc. But if it's not something that is a challenge to you, you don't realize how many people find it difficult. So is it the opening of bank accounts, but also the maintenance of, of managing a bank account through apps that's a, that's a challenge for people? Just wondered if you could highlight some of the bits that are difficult. 
Yeah, well, well, certainly the onboarding process, so the, the, the actual opening of an account, to be quite frank, is, is challenging for, for most people. And, and banks kind of don't make it easy, but there are reasons for that, you know, in terms of making sure that the correct procedures are followed. However, even for those with existing bank accounts, you know, the day-to-day management of their finances, when you have accessibility challenges, means that you often simply cannot use a banking app. So what do you do? Your options are, are suddenly much more limited. A lot of people pre-pandemic used to rely on going to branch to do their banking. But of course, the banks have for a long time had a, a policy of closing branches down as, as quickly as possible. And so therefore, we, we, you're left with a situation where you might have to travel 20, 30 miles to your nearest branch. And that's just not practical no. for many people. So some examples would, might be that people with sight impairment who are blind, usually they rely on screen readers to help them navigate apps. But for example, if a button, which would help you to, if you wanted to make a payment, for example, and you, you have to go through various screens in order to be able to, to complete that process, some buttons may not have what's called alt text, which clearly is designed for screen readers to be able to explain what the button is and what it's supposed to be doing. And that if you click on that button, what will be the outcome to the person with sight impairment? So they could get partway through the process, but then be unsure as to what they're going to do next or how to complete it. Brilliant. Thank you. With founders, I suppose one of the questions we ask is what's the problem you're trying to solve? But I think you've articulated that really clearly around the problem that you're trying to solve. Just to kind of be clear at the moment, is there any technology or support in place for people that do have these challenges to help them that the the banks do? Or are you addressing a complete kind of market failure? No, some technology does exist. So for example, it's it's referred to generically as assistive technology. Uh, So as I mentioned before, for for people who are blind, they would typically have a screen reader. Now that screen reader could be functionality that's within the device you're using, or it could be a a third-party product. But that third-party product whilst it may well be an excellent product, focuses just on that one disability. Often people have multiple disabilities. So for example, if you happen to be blind and deaf, then a screen reader is not really going to help you. So, you know, there are three sort of groups of disabilities. There's neurological, which might be autism or dyslexia. There's sensory, which could be hearing, sight. And then there's physical and not everybody with a disability has a problem using banking apps because the assistive technology they may have in place is sufficient for, for their needs. However, first of all, you, you have to understand what your needs are in order for you to then be able to find some technology to, to support you. And that's really where the problems start for many people mm. uh, because a lot of people are not sufficiently tech savvy and therefore it's difficult for them to to understand what they need and then to be able to integrate it into the the technology that they have. So for multiple reasons, this can work against you. But I should just point out, this is not solely for people with disabilities. They are the the most challenging use case, if you like, to design for. But when you make something more accessible, you make it more accessible for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and so therefore, for example, a lot of people who are perhaps of older generations who, again, are not desperately tech savvy or comfortable with using technology, this could make things a lot easier for them. 
I was thinking about my in-laws as you was talking. I think I'm safe because I'm pretty sure they won't listen to this podcast, so they won't buy me outing them. But yeah, it does that. They, they they did sound like you know elderly people that don't necessarily are au fait with apps would would find it hugely beneficial. How does Bankability you know plan to address this? Then what stage are you currently at, and what's the solution? So we've, we've completed our proof of concept. We were successful in getting a grant from Innovate UK to, to do that. But since then, we're ready to, to build our MVP, but we just need the funding to, to support that. Once we get that funding in place, then we will be ready to go to beta launch within six months. And we're already building up conversations and, and partnerships with the leading disability charities who recognize that bankability will be of great benefits to the communities that they represent. And so therefore, a number of them are, are happy to, for example, introduce their users to our testing program, which will take place during the development to ensure that the feedback and the lessons that we learn from that can be incorporated so that it's, it will be finessed in particular for, for their needs. Brilliant. Thank you. And just finally, before we come on to Elliot, I just wondered, how were you introduced to EHE and could you just kind of walk us through the process? I know there's been multiple conversations. How's it helped? Well, EHE was actually an introduction made by another VC who, where we didn't quite fit sort of focal area that, that they, they follow, where they see us, oh, you might want to speak to EHE. And so I, I reached out to EHE and I think Pretty quickly, there seemed to be some interest. I think they felt that we, you know, we had something that was a would add some value to the world, and b was hopefully investable. Brilliant, thank you. And then I suppose Elliot, then you picked it up, did you? Is and you've been working with David. Yeah, I think what stood out for me to start with, because obviously we we obviously get hundreds of, of decks and opportunities on a on a regular basis. But what stood out for me was how well that the opportunity was articulated in particular the value proposition in USP, which David has just kind of ran through there, which was really clearly communicated. It was compelling, it was concise, and it was understandable. So from kind of reading the, the first page of, of David's deck, it obviously drew my attention pretty quickly to kind of read a little bit further into what the problem was and the solution, kind of what we call the validation of the what, who, and how. So it had a clearly defined and articulated purpose. The problem was clearly defined and articulated, as David has kind of just ran through in some detail a couple of minutes ago. The point of differentiation as well, you know, clearly it's a, a product whilst, you know, there isn't really, in my opinion, a, a direct competitor out there at the moment. It's a product which is going to be quite niche and it solves a, a problem. I don't, I mean, I don't know if this is such a word, but I'd call it social tech. Tech for good, isn't it? Tech for good. Yeah, completely. I think it's solving a problem which is out there. And I think it's something that's probably only going to become more of an issue over the coming years as, you know, banks close and, you know, technology in general now is becoming more and more kind of complex as there's progress made over the coming years. I think Guy, probably in one of our previous podcasts, has said there'll be more change in the next 10 years than there's been in the last 100, I think is one mm. that we probably mentioned quite often. So we can see that kind of speed of advancement in technology means that certain segments of society potentially could get left behind. But these segments of society still need access to products and, and services and obviously institutions do have a responsibility as well to ensure that their customers are able to to access their products in the most efficient manner possible. 
Liam, thank you. And I know, Elliot, you, you've been a huge champion of, of David and his work. And obviously, we're now at the stage where we're, we're sending this out to investors and getting some appetite back because, David, you've just talked about that's crucial now for the next stage of your build. One of the things we've not touched on, which I know entrepreneurs and investors will be interested in, is if you could just maybe touch on the current team structure and where you're currently at with that. So I've got a very close, closely knit senior leadership team, which is myself and another three. And I in, in every case, I, I've worked with these people before, sometimes in multiple businesses. So we've got a, a very good rapport. We understand each other. And importantly, you know, I know that how committed they, they are to making this a success and getting it across the line. But in addition to that, I've managed to build a, a, a really interesting board of advisors over the last 18 months, two years, which started during the lockdown period. So they, they come from many sectors and disciplines, uh, from compliance and regulatory through to finance, through to ESG and marketing. So their help and, and uh, you know, wise counsel during the course of that time has been really, really helpful to us. And we're just starting out now to build a, a steering committee, a disability steering committee, which will help to guide us and provide us with sort of strategic direction in terms of where our development should go. Brilliant. I mean, I think that sounds that sounds great. And obviously wearing kind of my marketing and growth hat, a lot of founders look at that later on once the MVP is built. So it's brilliant that you're already having those those conversations and looking at those those steering committees because it will help you, you know, remain as inclusive as 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 you currently are. You talked earlier, David, about having started to build those relationships with kind of the disability charities and kind of key stakeholders out there. Is that reflected on the financial and the banking side at the moment? Have there been any kind of partnerships conversations? Do you see those as kind of your key stakeholders and customer groups as well? Yeah, definitely. So we've had some conversations with with banks and others and financial institutions. I would say the response has been quite varied, but we've got certainly one major bank that we're uh, we're in discussions with at the moment. And the first point they wanted to put across to us when we when we initially met with them was that they're actually interested in the outcomes for the customer. They weren't so bothered about potentially, let's say collaborating with us in order to get an exclusivity for their bank to be able to offer to their customers. They were very, very inclusive and open-minded about it from the get-go. So we're hopeful that uh, we'll uh, continue to, to develop. But interestingly, we've also had some interest from some really big global names based out in the US, but with footprints in, you know, sort of 30 plus countries and markets where they're, they're really motivated by the sort of the, the ESG, the aspect of, of what we're doing. So, I mean, I guess we are the S in the SG, you know, the social element. And, you know, it's, I, I can only see this increasing uh, over time. Just picking up as well quickly on something that Elliot said about, you know, a, a growing focus on these groups who are being really excluded. The world's population is, generally speaking, living longer and we're growing older. And as we grow older, then of course, you know, we're more susceptible to disabilities, for example, mm-hmm. and or where accessibility, the ease of accessibility changes for people. So therefore, we definitely see that the, the, the market is a growing market opportunity for, for bankability. Yeah, I agree. And I think even, you know, coming through the school and, and college system, people are much more receptive to kind of identifying potential 
disabilities, learning challenges, etc., with people now and, and putting that support in place. But it's interesting that the things that you take for granted every day as they, as they grow up, like you just highlighted with your son, is not necessarily there in terms of the same the same level of support. So there's a lot more receptiveness in the general public to to spotting these these conditions and, and trying to help people. Yeah, de- definitely. Uh, and I think, as you referenced with, with your own mother, I think you said. Oh, no, my in-laws. Well, your in-laws, yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah. Now, usually, when I'm talking to people, after a minute or two, the other person normally comes out with something like, yeah, well, actually, I could see this would be used to, you know, a direct family member or a, or, yeah. or a close friend or something like that. So there's a definite resonance with uh, with the outcome of what we're trying to achieve here and a very easy understanding of how this can help other people. Hmm. And I think you, we couldn't articulate it any better really than saying I would challenge anyone listening to this to not be able to think of somebody that would, would benefit from the technology because I'm certain we all could, whether it's a family member, a friend, you know, somebody who's going to be using, you know, online banking in, in, in the coming years. And the fact that we can all think of people that will benefit from this technology really for me sells itself, doesn't it? So obviously we've talked about kind of established founder, you know, credibility, POC is built. You're now in MVP stage. Sounds like you've got really good relationships and, and stakeholders and key interests, both on the banking and the and the kind of disability charity side. Elliot, you've highlighted what's been, you know, what really stood out from you. I just wondered, Elliot, from an investor perspective, obviously we are now looking at investment stage to support David on the next stage of his journey, which we all understand how important that is. Is there anything else that you would want to highlight that you think would be really interesting from an investable point of view? I think there was, from a personal point of view, the two the two things that impressed me were obviously the people for a, a seed stage business. It's got some extremely capable and motivated people, as David kind of mentioned before in his background. You know, his his, his skills, his experiences, his leadership and mindset all appear to be kind of closely aligned to what he's looking to do here. He's got some people around him where he's identified gaps in the management team, and he's brought people on board at the, you know, the earliest stage in the business to help him with the, the growth plan, which kind of leads me into the the second thing really, which was again, for a seed stage business, David was quite well prepared. He had a, you know, a clearly defined purpose, but he also aligned that purpose to a, to a growth strategy. And I think that probably leads quite nicely into something that we haven't really touched on, which is kind of the, the, the business model. We've kind of gone through the problem yeah. and the solution, but David, it might be just worth talking about the kind of more commercial aspects of this business of how they're getting kind of the post MVP journey, how you, how the business is going to be commercialized. So first of all, the MVP is going to be built as a direct consumer version. So we'll be onboarding as many people as, as possible, as quickly as possible. The commercial model for that is going to be freemium. So. We, I mean, if we could give it away for free to everybody, we would, but we do have costs. We are pledging, by the way, 10% of all future profits will be donated to our, our charity farmers, but we do still need to provide a return on investment to, to our investors, but they need to be supportive of that. 
So the premium element of premium is going to be if you'll be able to access all your existing accounts, all your transactions, everything for free. If you wish to be able to then make payments, then the intention is to charge a small monthly charge of uh, £5 a month to enable you to do that. So the revenue model for there is is the the premium one. We will also be building white label solution or uh, for use by by banks that they can integrate our accessibility layer into their existing platforms and, and banking apps. And not just banks, but other financial institutions as well. So that's the second commercial model. So that will be, you know, based around accessibility as a service or a, or a SaaS, SaaS model. We will also be including a marketplace. Now, if you, if you remember, part of the USP that we do is that we First of all, find out exactly what your individual specific user experience and accessibility needs are. So once you're on the platform, whether you're, you know, checking your accounts or doing anything else, you've still got this optimized user experience. So in the marketplace, you'll have access to the usual kind of things that you might see on, on money supermarkets or U-Switch, but also access to some really important resources such as HMRC, DWP, and, and NHS, and any other relevant resource, as long as they, the, the APIs exist to enable us to control the user experience. We, we will never make anything available to anybody where we cannot have the same user experience, because that's the whole point in coming to us. There'll be revenues attached to some elements of the marketplace in terms of commissions, et cetera. And lastly, all these transactions that are happening, all the, all the behavior points that, that we'll be seeing from all our users will be creating a gazillion data points. And this information, this data will be extremely useful in order to be able to build up knowledge about the, the behaviors of essentially vulnerable people. And so what we believe will be that other organizations further down the line, when we're you know, obviously reached a sufficient number of, of transactions, will be able to access some of this information in order to be able to improve the products and services that they then provide to these vulnerable users, which can only be a good thing for society as a whole. Brilliant. Thank you. Elliot, is there anything else you wanted to, to highlight? Obviously, we've gone through the commercialization of it. Anything else you think investors particularly might be be interested in? We'll talk about, do, do you want to highlight what the next steps might be? If anyone's listening to this thinking, actually, it sounds really interesting. I want to find out more. Well, first of all, I think we need to touch on the opportunity exactly. What specifically David and Bankability are looking for. Mm-hmm. So they're looking to raise £500,000 for 25% of the equity to be used to develop the MVP and for some post-MVP launch. So we're looking at about a six-month runway. It's got SEAS, EIS, Advanced Assurance. So for them, investors out there that are looking for tax-efficient investments, there's advance assurance already received from HMRC. Thank you. Thank you. So anyone listening to this that thinks actually it sounds really interesting, it would fit with our portfolio, we'd like to find out more. Obviously, there is more information that we can share, David. You've got the pitch deck, et cetera. Happy to to have conversations. So we'll pop all the links into the email and, and at the bottom of this podcast as well. And Elliot, I'm sure you'll be happy to facilitate some of those conversations as well between David and, and the investor. So fingers crossed, David, thanks so much for sharing everything. It sounds a really brilliant opportunity and like you say, massively, you know, 
tech for good and and helping you know huge amount of people that's only going to grow and grow so i'm sure we'll get positive outcome for you soon and hopefully we'll have you back in the next few months and you can talk about your post mvp journey and and what the next steps are for bankability so thank you david thank you elliot really appreciate your time and as ever anybody that is listening to this would like to find out a little bit more about ehe and how we can help get your business ready for for funding or any more questions then you know please do get in touch with all the links that are below thanks Bo. thank you thanks very much Thanks, thanks david thank you for listening to this episode of extraordinary entrepreneurs together visit the ehe capital website ehe.capital for further insights and to join the ehe community